Hello and welcome to Banking Under Pressure, the banker's podcast on the impact of COVID-19 on the global financial sector. I'm John Everington, Middle East and Africa editor of The Banker, and I'm delighted to be joined today from South Africa by Jeff Gable, chief economist at ABSA CIB, to discuss the impact of coronavirus on Africa and South Africa in particular. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Very happy to uh, join you and, and to your listeners. So as we speak, it's coming up to about four months of the coronavirus pandemic worldwide. In terms of Africa and the impact on the continent, what economic sectors are going to be most impacted across the economies in Africa are already being impacted by the coronavirus, would you say? So in, in many ways, our story, at least on the headlines, isn't that different from what we see elsewhere. So commodity producers everywhere in the world are under some pressure. Obviously, the the focus has been on oil in in much of this year, but the same is true for base metals, the same is true for many bulk commodities. So as uh, global demand has fallen, prices have slipped, that has an impact for countries in in terms of their revenues today, particularly government revenues and, and hard currency earnings, but also, I suppose, the longer it is we think it takes for the global economy to recover, then uh, perhaps some of the, the new investments in uh, the commodity countries, sort of that next oil find or that next deep uh, hole that you dig, some of those get delayed. The second area that we're, we're very focused on, of course, is those economies, and it's not all of them, but those economies for which tourism is an important employer or, or earner of FX. So the, the, the small island economies of Seychelles and Mauritius are obvious there, but countries like Kenya, Tanzania, Botswana, Namibia, South Africa, all of those are economies that generate a, an awful lot of jobs through a tourism industry. And of course, that industry is not only plus minus stopped in its tracks now, but probably is only going to recover very, very slowly going forward. Maybe construction will be a sector that we also start to see more impacted as we think about one of the the primary sort of economic angles that COVID-19 will have a permanent impact in Africa on it through public finance. Governments are running uh, much larger deficits. The cost of financing is often significantly higher. In that space then, the, the sort of the government-led, the bigger infrastructure pushes, the construction that we would expect to be happening on the continent, some of those projects uh, may face some considerable delays as there simply isn't the money available in many cases uh, now than, than there might have been otherwise. And then the last bit, maybe most uh, the most general one, is just your remittances. So if we think, for example, for um, your listeners in, in the UK, right? Well, one of the things that you see in the UK are are a lot of workers uh, from outside of the UK that come and earn a living and send money home. Think about Polish workers, workers from from North Africa and others. So the continent as a whole is Africa. Significant sums of money come from the rest of the world back here. The diaspora working elsewhere in the world sends money back. In an environment where the global economy is under pressure, where many of those uh, diaspora are, are in jobs that are most impacted by the global downturn, then some of those money flows coming back onto the continent and providing support to to sort of rural areas and, and families in all countries, uh, some of that's probably impacted as well. One of the key differences that we've been seeing with this crisis compared with the global financial crisis, um, particularly within Africa, 
has been um, the higher debt levels for many countries across the continent this time compared with what we saw um, 12 or so years ago with the global financial crisis. Now, how has this impacted government's response to the economic threats that they face this time around? And how should multilateral institutions be responding this time compared with um, what we saw 12 years ago in the global financial crisis? I mean, it's a great comparison that you make. You know, sat here in in Africa, you don't wish anybody poorly, but it was a particularly proud moment for sort of the Africa Renaissance, the Africa Rising story. That at the time of the global financial crisis, many parts of uh, emerging markets found their economies under significant pressure, and of course, the rich world was uh, uh, under uh, sort of a, a huge downturn. And here. In Africa, in fact, most countries escaped recession. And one of the reasons for mm -hmm. that, of course, was that they went into the global financial crisis with far fewer linkages to uh, global financial markets, but also much less public debt. And that was as a consequence of the debt relief efforts in, in sort of the decade or, or two running up to the crisis. That's simply not the case now. So you struggle to find across the continent countries that haven't run sizable fiscal deficits over this plus minus decade since the global financial crisis. And so we as Africa enter into this economic downturn with public balance sheets that have far less space on them for additional spending and far more debt strain. Now into that space then, one of the, the the big measures, and it hasn't been specific to Africa, but you think about the G20 earlier this year, sort of calling on payment holidays or debt reduction for the world's poorest countries. So many of those poorest mm -hmm. countries are, are here on, on the continent. And from sort of the bilateral side, it looks like there's been important progress in providing countries with a little bit more space to free up some monies that would otherwise be spent on debt service to, to either help provide additional support for their economies today or to spend directly on, on health-related spending. But going forward, that's only going to become more difficult. And when we think about the broader calls, the calls, for example, for the private sector to participate in some of these repayment holidays or even debt restructuring, in, in that space, I think sort of Africa's needs, both today and going forward, I think its needs are, are far more complex than, than a simple blanket, you know, we, we need to uh, reduce debt in, in debt payments. And I think one point that uh, you and I have discussed before is that there are a number of countries where, I mean, the debt levels are very high, but then the health, health sector is actually quite healthy, and then, of course, vice versa. So I'm supposing that that's, that calls for a smarter approach to looking at debt and, and looking at additional loans that are granted in these times. When we think about sort of debt uh, repayment holidays or debt restructuring or debt forgiveness, the countries that we tend to focus on are those countries with the highest amounts of debt or, or the least uh, ability to repay. And that makes sense through a debt lens. But it might not make sense through the public health lens that we're asked to focus on now, because it sort of mm -hmm. presupposes that those countries with the most debt are also those countries that have uh, sort of the, the highest uh, health needs in, in a COVID uh, crisis. And that may not be the case. We may find that there are countries that have managed public finance really well, but have a public health challenge that is so dramatic that they're probably deserving of significant external support. Other countries where perhaps their public health spending need is actually quite modest compared to their neighbors, 
but have got themselves in such a muddle with debt over the last number of years uh, that the debt itself has become uh, unsustainable. And so in that space, it's really just a call to make sure that these two discussions don't get conflated with one another. There's a debt discussion, and then there's a need to provide support for public health systems on the continent discussion, but it's, it's tricky to wrap them together. And, and the reason why that's happening, I suspect, is, is sort of the old adage about when, when all you have is a hammer, everything, <laughs> everything you look at looks like a nail. We tend to, on the official sector side, we tend to look at Africa through a debt lens. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's not always the right answer, and it, and it might not be the right answer this time. It's a difficult uh, thing to get that smarter approach when you're in the middle of such a crisis, um, but one, one to consider for the future, it seems. Of course, what we need to focus on going forward, and, you know, quite beyond the crisis, is we need to make sure that Africa broadly, that individual African countries are seen as an appropriate credit to lend to. So going forward, right, if we wish to have private sector participation, if you wish to have countries be able to borrow money for the long term at rates that make sense for those countries, then investors need to have sort of a, a, you know, a reasonable sense that they're going to be repaid back in full. And so sort of the, a knee-jerk move towards debt reduction or repayment holidays, et cetera, may feel quite good right now but may ultimately make it more difficult for countries to borrow at appropriate rates going forward. And that might not be the right answer for the medium and long-term viability of of Africa's growth model. Jeff, thank you very much indeed for joining us today and sharing your thoughts. Very happy to help. Thank you everyone for taking an interest on the continent and I hope that everyone stays uh, safe and sound during this very difficult period. Thank you for listening to this edition of Banking Under Pressure from The Banker. You can subscribe to this podcast to iTunes, Spotify, and Acast. And you can find more editions of this series together with other podcasts at thebanker.com slash podcast. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.